Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. My name is Kenna. I'm Koel. Kenna. I like lost my breath when I said Kenna. that. It's me, Kenna. It's just me. What was it? Kenna Crystal Meth. Kenna Crystal Meth. <laughs> Kenna Crystal Meth in the house. Yeah, yeah. Because I hit the table at the same time. God, we're a mess already. How was everyone's Valentine's Day? I didn't do anything at all. It was good. I told Casey, I was like, okay, because we usually go out to dinner on the 15th, which is actually the day that we're recording this, so I'm excited to go to dinner, but we don't, like, get gifts or anything, and so yesterday we had come off of, like, a five-day, like, we went out of town for the weekend, and we had, like, a bunch of stuff going on, and so yesterday I was like... I am physically going to sleep as much as I can, and I slept, literally slept until, like, four. (laughs) I just (laughs) laid in bed for the rest of the night, and it was a very relaxing day. I didn't do anything, but it's kind of nice to not do anything when you've done so much, you know, the last couple days, so. Yeah. That was cool. Got a little rest. I'm all energized again. Yeah, it was just, you know, it's kind of nice just to relax and not have to do much, and I got to help my kiddo with all of his little goodie baggies oh yeah we had the best valentines too i know you got a lot of stuff (laughs) yeah well i i don't know i you know he has his parents too so it was kind of like this collaboration and i had this idea about these rubber duckies and so i got a bunch of rubber duckies and then we did pencils and stamps and stickers and whatever and yeah he had the best valentines out of all the kids yeah (laughs) i'm sure he did he's a pro (laughs) as long as he's happy Cool. Well, um, just wanted to start off by saying really quick, like, thank you so much for everyone that's been continuously commenting. We've gotten a lot of really nice Instagram comments and posts, and I will go out, you know, mention them. We've had some um, suggestions, but I'll mention them once we do those cases, because I really am excited to to research this one that was suggested to us. So we're going to get to that at some point. I'm definitely going to research it, but I definitely have a couple more in my pipeline (laughs) that I've had research in my mind. But yeah, I'm just like going for it. I have already like, I think the next five lined up in my mind of like what I want to do. <laughs> so yeah. it's all in order. I'm excited for a potential collaboration. Yes. That's coming up maybe in March. Maybe. Question mark? Question mark? We'll see. Stay tuned. Yeah. You'll have to, to listen for that. We'll obviously make it noon and that's happening. If and when. That's mm-hmm. happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we're going to get right into this episode today. I did something really, really different and I always always say that. I always, always do something different. But <laughs> the MO for this case is completely different than anything else we've ever done. Ooh. And this is actually a Canadian case, too. So I chose to do it outside of the United States and then something different MO-wise. Yeah. Before we do get started, um, just to let everyone know, this episode will contain graphic content having to do with alcohol abuse. Um, there is physical and sexual assault mentioned as well. Your mental health is extremely important to me and Koel. And if this content is not something that you're comfortable listening to, by all means, please feel free to listen to another one of our episodes, and we will see you next time. But we're going to get right into this episode. Canadians, so. huh? Yes. Milk milk and bags. Did you know that they have milk and bags? I did know that. And that's like, I mean, no offense to like any of our <laughs> Canadian listeners, but that's just odd to me because like, I've never seen that before. Is it just because maybe like the plastic cartons maybe are more costly or they take up more room? I'm not sure why that is. Canadian listeners, let us know, because I know we have listeners in Canada. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to get started, and you definitely don't know this one. I mean, hopefully you don't know this one. Okay. Um, now, we're going to be talking about Gilbert Paul Jordan. <gasps> I know Shut this up. guy. No, you okay. don't. <laughs> you don't. Shut up. <laughs> A.K.A. The Boozing Barber. What? Of Fleet Street? <laughs> the Boozing Barber. So that's his nickname. Wow. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Sorry. That was really <gasps> oh my god. Like, I, I know you don't know to that later. <laughs> <laughs> now, Gilbert Paul Elsie was born on December 12th, 1931 in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada to Jack and Winifred Elsie. Winifred. Oh, oh like Hocus Pocus. 
I guess. I've never seen that movie. Oh. Oh, I'm going to get so much hate for that. <laughs> like, what? I've never seen a lot of movies, apparently. She's never even seen Titanic. I have, actually. I watched it for the first time probably, like, four or five months ago, and I actually am really disappointed in myself because I loved it. And it was, I could watch yeah, it, like, over good. and over again, and I'm sad that I waited until I was 27 to it's watch a, it. It's a staple. You know, in the when it came out in the 90s, it came with two VHS tapes. Yeah, you had to, yeah, you had to change them. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, and it was, like, it faded... And then I think it was right around the time that they were having sex in the car. So it's like, okay, perfect time to like yeah. <laughs> change the scene. And then you would have to be like, change to tape two. Yeah. And then <laughs> now Gilbert was the second of two children the couple shared, his older brother being Bud Gilbert. Bud Gilbert. Bud Gilbert. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> isn't he name. the bo- boozy? <laughs> That's not his name? Oh, Bud Gilbert. His, his brother's name is Gilbert. His, his brother's name is Bud. It's like <laughs> the dude's Gilbert person. Gilbert. <laughs> Is his name his Gilbert old, Gilbert? His older brother was Bud Elsie. I don't know. Oh, I put okay. Bud Gilbert as a typo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. This is going swimmingly so far. They're both alcoholics. When the boys were young, their parents actually divorced, and they were sent to live with their father. How young? Um, it actually didn't say, but pretty young. Like, like four. Before ten. I like, see. Yeah. So it is known that the divorce was pretty amicable on both sides. Uh, okay. So they did live with their father full time, but they did split time with both their parents. They saw their mom pretty often. Hmm. So Gilbert actually had a seemingly easygoing childhood, you know, with the comparison to other people we've talked about. Yeah, especially with split parents. Yeah, uh, with no reports of trauma or abuse growing up. Again, not to say that didn't happen, but there's just no reports of it. Uh, he maintained a great relationship with his mother while living with his father and had a seemingly normal home life as well on both sides. Despite all of the quote-unquote average things he was raised with, Gilbert was an abnormal child. This is a quote. He was very strange and often misunderstood. Uh, The only thing that I can maybe think of is that his older brother got more, like, attention than he did, maybe, because he was... Uh, It wasn't really clear why he was kind of... Like, you know how it's, it's like two kids raised in the same household... What's the difference in the way yeah. that they're, you know, feeling growing a- up? Amy Bishop, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he kind of just shut down. Like, he wasn't really a very outgoing child, you know, kind of was in the background. Throughout his childhood, he, again, kept to himself. And it kind of seems like a lot of his internal thought was really doing a lot of damage in his own mm. mind. But he wasn't outwardly expressing it. So he was just kind of, like, holding everything in? Yeah. Um, he was, however, very interested in cutting hair, becoming a barber, and actually taught himself to do so in his free time. Oh. At, like, the age of 13. Yeah. <laughs> he began cutting hair. Cameron used to cut my hair when she... Well, the first time she cut my hair was when she was, like, 12. Yeah, I remember. And it looked really good. Yeah. And I was, like, 16. And like, she knew how to do all the emo cuts. You're like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, also in his free time, again, at the young age of 13, Gilbert began to deal with his internal thoughts and feelings by consuming alcohol very heavily. At what age? 13. Oh my gosh. And by the age of 16, he actually referred to himself as a full-blown alcoholic. Allegedly, during this time, he was drinking three bottles of vodka a day. What? I don't know if it was like a fifth or like a (laughs) handle. Handle. Probably a fifth. Probably a fifth. But still, that's a lot. Um, This is also the time that he dropped out of school and he did not return after this. So he dropped out of school at 16. Around this time as well, he was beginning to spend a lot of time with uh, the sex work community and began a regular routine of doing so. So he would hang... I'm sorry. So he, you said he was hanging out with the community. Would he, like, engage with, like, sex workers? Is that... Yeah, he just became, like, a regular of sorts. Like, oh, I see. Uh, okay, just in the area and stuff, yeah, too? Yeah, Okay. Starting in 1952, now he is now 21, he got in trouble with the law constantly. He quickly racked up a lengthy uh, criminal record with a number of serious charges, including theft, assault, car theft, and possession of heroin. Oh my gosh. Escalates kind of quickly, right? Yeah. Well, I guess not, because well, he was yeah, 16. over the course of five years, but still, it's yeah. still very young. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, he's on his own completely now, and he was com- also completely out of control with drinking, he would say. He would consistently hang out with other people that he called alcoholics as well, stating about them, quote, sober people wouldn't go out with me, so I didn't have much of an option. I didn't want to drink in my room all by myself. So, Misery Loves Company. He was trying to, yeah, he was just trying to find, because he didn't want to be sober, so he was like, let me just hang out with other people that don't want to be sober, right? Yeah. We'll just drink together. God, can you imagine the mess? Because, like, every once in a while, right, like, you go to a party or you go out to, like, a bar and, like, one of your girlfriends gets really shitty 
and then you have to take care of her. Yeah. Could you imagine if, like, all six of you were shitty? Yeah. That would suck. Well, honestly, too, like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I love a stiff drink as much as the next person, but there comes a time, like, yesterday, perfect example, I was like, I literally cannot drink anymore. I've drank for, like, the last five days. I yeah. need to stop. So I just took a whole day, and I didn't drink, and that's, like, I feel like I drink more than the average person. So imagine like this, it's like all day, every day, yeah. you know? And that's really sad because it's like, you get to the point where your body like needs that and craves it and you literally get sick without it. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. That's well, that's really the dependency. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all I was saying was just like, he only hangs out with other no, alcoholics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the anti-AA. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> now, during this time... He was continuously engaging in constant sex with prostitutes. He claimed later that around this time, he would have sex with up to 200 women per year. Okay. And sought out his companions in the slums and dive bars of Vancouver. That's a quote. So it's like every other day. Yeah. Yeah. It was like frequent. He did this for many years, of course, racking up those charges for various crimes and <laughs> gonna say racking up those numbers but <laughs> I mean also um and in 1961 he actually had a interesting run-in with police this is kind of like like fuzzy but I'll explain it the best I can police um found a five-year-old girl in his vehicle <gasps> and although he was charged with abduction he was never convicted so there was no evidence of like any type of assault or anything like that we don't didn't know where really, this little girl came exactly, from. Exactly. Didn't really explain, like, how he knew her or why she was with him. He got charged with abduction, but again, never convicted. So maybe it was a misunderstanding and it was like, let me charge you. But then the parents didn't want to press charges or yeah. however it went. That's really all it said about that. <laughs> I wonder if they weren't acquainted or... Or maybe it was one of his friend's children. Right. And he, one of the, the workers. Cops. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. One of the workers' daughters and then she... The girl went missing, and then maybe she reported it, didn't realize that it yeah. was with somebody she, her daughter was with somebody she knew. Yeah, so it was a little, okay. a little strange. Um, that case ended in a stay of proceedings in May of 1961. Hmm. Now, 61, oh my gosh, okay, so we're... So he's like 30 at this point. Now, shortly after Christmas Day, so that was like earlier in the year that that happened, um, I guess he had had, been having a very hard time. And a very inebriated Gilbert tried to jump off of the Lionsgate Bridge. Oh my gosh. This is his words. Traffic was actually stopped until he gave up the attempt and was eventually talked down. <gasps> he, like, was going to and then got talked down. But, like, caused a scene? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's um, gotta be really powerful for yeah. someone, you know? Honestly, like, to feel like you don't have worth and for all these people to stop and help you yeah that's got to be like a really impactful moment honestly it's like okay all these strangers are like caring about my safety my well-being right you know? this is gonna get kind of like what the fuck so just <laughs> just bear with me okay. okay now soon afterward he was arrested yet again and found in contempt of court in north vancouver for saluting nazi style in the courtroom oh no like why? Like, what are you doing? You know that's illegal to do in Germany? I don't fucking doubt it. Yeah, like, it's illegal in Germany. You can't do it. That's, that's like, what I've heard. I don't know. Somebody Google it. They're like, how do you plead? He's like, it's not funny at all. It's not funny at all. Yes, Anna, Gilbert in the front. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're not raising Sir, your you have a question? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he was not given any time for this charge or anything, uh, was yet... Yet again, back on the streets. Now, in 1963, so the next year, um, Gilbert lured two women into his car with an invitation to drink. That's, okay. like, his thing, right? Yeah. Now, while inside the vehicle, he assaulted the two women sexually, who then went to police, um, and subsequently, Gilbert was charged with rape and theft. Okay. Not sure if he stole something. I mean, he obviously stole something from them. Now, for some reason... <laughs> He was convicted on the theft charge, but acquitted of the rape charge. Is it because they were sex workers? I'm sure. It didn't have really any other information. Yeah. That. That's disgusting. Yeah. So it's, like, already lengthy criminal... Just let him like, get away lit. with it. Just yeah. let him keep doing whatever he's doing. So, yeah, it's almost like why... Like, it's like they're not really caring about the community enough to, like, prosecute him for doing anything, yeah. you know? That's what I was... That's why I asked if they were sex workers, because, yeah. you know... Yeah. 
I mean, um, that's the same shit with, like, kind of Eileen Warnos, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, I feel like she got away with a lot for a long time because of her job. But not only that, I think that a lot of the crimes that she committed weren't, like I said, just weren't paid attention to. Yeah. Um, and they tried to make those men seem like... Like, not shedheads, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were like, oh, no, they're just, they're loving men and husbands and fathers and all this shit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I derailed. Yeah. No, it's okay. Um, now, during one of his many incarcerations, because, of course, during this time, he has been convicted of certain things, mm. Gilbert got back into his interest of cutting hair and learned how to become a barber while in prison. Oh. When he was released, he decided to open up his own barber shop. He named the Slow Can Barber Shop in Vancouver's downtown east side. He also um, somehow inherited a small amount of money at this point. Maybe one of his parents had passed and invested in the stock mar- stock market, uh, which actually quickly gained him a lot of profit. Hmm. Now, with this money, he was able to maintain the barber shop, afford all of the booze he wanted, and also get a really good lawyer. Oh, great. You're going to need it. <laughs> yeah. Now, unfortunately, all of these things that he was able to afford are just what he needed to escalate his crimes from what he was doing to murder. Now, in 1965, a switchboard operator named Ivy Rose Doreen Oswald accompanied Gilbert on one of his drinking binges. That's a mouthful. I know. The next day, April 28th, 1965, Ivy Rose's nude body was found in a Vancouver hotel room with a blood alcohol level of 0.51. What? Now, if y'all... If y'all, y'all don't know. <laughs> if y'all just don't know. If y'all just don't know. The, the legal <laughs> limit in America is 0. 0.08. So that is very, very high. Oh, I have it right here. Just to put this into perspective, the legal driving limit is 0. 0.08. Chugging 12 beers in a row results in a blood alcohol level of about 0. 0.3, which is the point where a person usually blacks out. And death by alcohol... alcohol <laughs> and death by alcohol poisoning occurs at around 0.4%. So she so was 0.51. Oh my god. So to die of alcohol poisoning, a person has to drink a lot of alcohol very, very fast, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, so at 0.51, Ivy Rose's blood alcohol level was six times higher than the legal limit and almost double what experts call, quote, the danger zone. So like, Completely irreversible. Yeah, that's alcohol poisoning. Yeah, it's scary. Now, after her body was found, her death was ruled accidental, and the case was closed almost immediately. Accidental from alcohol poisoning, I'm assuming? Accidental overdose, yeah, of alcohol. Okay. However, it would come out 22 years later that her death was absolutely not accidental, and she would now become known as the victim of a homicide. A few days after Ivy Rose's murder, Gilbert Paul L.C. changed his name to Gilbert Paul Jordan. Oh, yeah. Nobody's going to catch me now. The application was approved, and he carried on with his life as if nothing had happened. Charges and convictions for drunk driving continued to be placed on Gilbert, but somehow he consistently seemed to get away scot-free. Interesting. With his lawyer. With his lawyer? Does he have connections with the police or something? No, he's just a really good lawyer, apparently. Okay. <laughs> In 1969, in fact, he was charged twice on the same day for drunk driving. (laughs) Twice. Wait, what? How do you get charged for drunk driving and then, like, did you just get a ticket, I guess, and then you just, like, turn around and, like, got back in your car, I guess? (laughs) He, maybe he got someone to pick him up that wasn't drunk and then he got back into his car later. I mean, it's a lot you can do in a day. Yeah, but (laughs) all I'm thinking is that... You get pulled over for drunk driving. You don't just get, like, a ticket. You go to jail. Yeah, That's exactly. what I'm thinking. I mean, so, but this is also in, what, the 60s, 70s? 70s. But as it's long also, as he wasn't, like, strung out on shrooms or acid, I'm sure they were like, okay, just walk it off. Don't do it again. <laughs> Does it again. Immediately. In 1971, he was arrested in Vancouver for committing an indecent act in a public place. That charge was dismissed again. In 1973, Gilbert was arrested in McKenzie and convicted for indecent exposure. Let go. It was a, <laughs> he convicted, so I guess he let wasn't go. let go. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow he was let go. Well, he wasn't in prison, I yeah. guess, as where he sh- probably should be. In 1974, in Prince George, he was arrested yet again and convicted of indecent assault and sentenced to two years in jail in less than one day. Like, it took him like, less than a day to sentence him that. Two years. 
this what long rap sheet. And he's like, just go ahead and spend two years and sweat. And then get out of good behavior. Get out of good behavior. Get this. Finally, someone wants to do something about this guy. The Crown tried to have him declared a dangerous offender in 1974, but his very expensive lawyer intervened, and the request was denied. So he doesn't even have anything on his record that says he's a dangerous offender. <laughs> oh my god. And at least if, like, he has that on his record, then if he gets pulled over for drunk driving, the police can be like, oh shit, like, this guy has a bad rap, and then just take him in, right? Yeah. Instead of just being like, oh, don't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Walk it off. Don't at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's Minnesota. <laughs> in 1975, Gilbert was back. Gilbert. 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 It is me, Gilbert. <laughs> he was back on the streets. And this time, he escalated his crimes yet again to abduction. He abducted a woman from a mental institution. Police charged him on several accounts for this, including kidnapping and sexual intercourse with a feeble-minded person. That yeah, because that's, that's illegal. It they is. don't have consent. It is. He was sentenced to... 26 months for assault. What? 26 months. For kidnapping and assault. Yeah. Following an arrest in 1976, Gilbert was examined by Dr. Tibor Bezzaretti as part of a court-mandated examination and was officially diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. Mm. Now we know. <laughs> He's not married yet, is he? No. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. This is thought to have played a role in his following crimes as well. It is unclear whether or not he had any murder victims during the next decade, but it is believed that he may have because he was continuously inviting women back to his hotel room and giving them copious amounts of alcohol. This happened from 1980 to 1988, with more than 200 women a year being invited back with Gilbert. Remember? Oh He's having sex with these women. Uh. The women that did unfortunately pass, it was hard to determine if they were victims of a homicide or an accidental overdose. However, like alcohol or drugs or yeah. whatever. However, Gilbert was known to have been with the following women at the time of their deaths. On November 30th, 1980, Mary Johnson's body was found at the Aylmer Hotel with a blood alcohol level of 0.34. On oh September gosh. 11th, 1981, Barbara Paul's body was found at the Glenard Hotel with a blood alcohol of 0.41. Mary John's body was found on July 30th, 1982, at 2503 Kingsway, Gilbert Jordan's barber shop, <gasps> with a blood alcohol level of 0.76. What? He has to be forcing <clears throat> this down their throats. There's no way. Patricia Thomas's body was found on December 15th, 1984 at the barber shop as well, with a blood alcohol content of 0.51. On June 28th, 1985, Patricia Andrews' body was found at Gilbert's barber shop with a blood alcohol level of 0.79. And on November 19th, 1986, the body of Vera Harry was found at the Clifton Hotel with the blood alcohol content of 0.40. Is he, like, injecting it into their bloodstream? That's just, like, that's so much. Like, your your body would reject that. Yeah. There's no way. I'll get into it. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, so three women died in his barbershop. How did he not get charged? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Well, again, like I said, he had a very expensive lawyer that seemed to be really good at defending pieces of shit like him. <laughs> but also, he was the one that made the 911 calls the next morning about the women being deceased. He was eerily good at making it seem like he was distraught and all three of their deaths became ruled accidental with no evidence to suggest otherwise now it's clear that gilbert is killing these women with alcohol so it's time to explain how he made this happen <laughs> yeah because this is bizarre yeah so we mentioned that he would frequently pay women to join him in sex drugs alcohol whatever the situation was he would be like nice and manipulative and the women would agree to join him whether it be in his barbershop or this hotel room or any hotel room Gilbert and the women would hang out and both get very intoxicated, often to the point that the women would become extremely inebriated, where their inhibitions would be lowered, and sometimes they would even pass out, right? That's something that you can do on your own. Yeah. Once Gilbert found himself in a position of power, so to speak, he would force more alcohol down their throats, forcing so much into their systems that they would unfortunately die in their sleep due to alcohol poisoning. He was able to get away with this and make it look like an accident because... They're passed out, so of course there's no signs of a struggle. It just looks like an overdose. My eyebrows are reaching my hairline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? 
So it would literally, he would wait for them to black out or pass out, and then he would literally force feed them Yeah. Now, the last victim that was thought to be foul play was Vera Harry in November of 1986. And almost a year later, on October 12th, 1987, Vanessa Lee Buckner was found nude on the floor of the Niagara Hotel after a night of drinking with Gilbert. He was noted as leaving the hotel multiple times throughout the night to purchase more alcohol. There is some debate regarding the victim, so I'll just say what both sources said. Um, Some sources mentioned that she was not a heavy drinker, nor was she a sex worker, which is the usual type of person he would target. Mm -hmm. However, official court records indicated Vanessa's death as the result of Gilbert, quote, supplying a lethal amount of liquor to a female alcoholic who died as a result. So they were saying that she was an alcoholic. Oh, she's already an alcoholic, so whatever. Shortly before her death, it is known that Vanessa had actually lost custody of her newborn, who had been born with a drug dependency. So it's... She was noted as being, quote, an alcoholic and a taker of various kinds of drugs. So, again, two different sources. We, we're not sure. Um, all we know, know for sure is that she was a victim of Gilbert. At 6 a.m. on October 12th, Gilbert left the hotel for the last time, and at 7.40 a.m., police received an anonymous phone call leading them to the body. So he called, like, almost two hours after he left. Make sure he was far enough away. Yeah. Vanessa had a blood alcohol content of 0.91, more than twice the amount needed to kill somebody. That's that's so much alcohol to the point to where even if she would survive, she would likely have brain damage. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. That's in that's so much. That's, ugh, that's awful. Gilbert's fingerprints were found at the scene and linked to Vanessa's death. And less than a month after this, another woman by the name of Edna Shade was found dead in another hotel room, in which police found Gilbert's fingerprints as well. So they then decided to track him down. Oh, okay, now we need to look for this guy. (laughs) Not like he's been a menace to society his entire life. And he's had three women die in his barbershop under the same circumstances. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The boozy barber. God, no, it's awful. Shopping for your pet has never been easier. From crates and carriers to collars and leashes, Dog.com is your one-stop shop for all of your dog's supply needs. Dog.com not only offers a varied assortment of products and accessories for your pet, but they also sponsor a donations program to help pets in need. With Dog.com, you will easily find everything you need for your furry best friend. Click the link in the show notes below for up to 30% off your first online order. After being questioned, Gilbert had not been charged with any crime related to Vanessa Buckner's or Edna Shade's deaths. However, police began surveillance on him after this questioning. Oh, okay. I guess it was all circumstantial that they had, so they were like, okay, let's just tail him. Yeah. Between October 12th and November 26th, 1987, police watched him, quote, search our native Indian women in the Skid Row area of Vancouver. Um, All of his victims up until this point have been Native women, so that is why they put that in there. Oh, okay. On four separate occasions, police rescued the women involved before they could potentially become victims themselves. These women are as follows. On November 20th, 1987, police found Rosemary Wilson at the Balmoral Hotel with a blood alcohol content of 0.52. They decided to go ahead and rescue her after she was already at a 0.52. Yeah. Just saying. The next day, on November 21st, police found Verna Chartrand at the Pacific Hotel with a blood alcohol content of 0.43. Four days later, on the 25th of November, police located Sheila Joe at the Rainbow Hotel with an unknown blood alcohol content. All three of these women would survive. That's so sad. I can't believe, like, he was targeting Native women. And they're just like, okay, let's let them go in the hotel with it. Let's let them get to the point. I mean, realistically speaking, like, again... They probably consumed alcohol to the point where they were maybe blocking out. That's possible to do. And the police might have had to, like, make sure that he was then feeding them alcohol to make sure that it was a homicide. Like a crime or something? I mean, that sounds bad, but it's probably the evidence they needed was, like, actually catching him in the act. Yeah. Thankfully, all of these women survived. But it's really unfortunate. Like, that's kind of what they felt they needed to do, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, where does it come, like... Where's the line drawn of when it's consensual and then no longer consensual? Yeah, exactly. Well, according to later reports, police listening outside the hotel rooms heard Gilbert say such things as, quote, Have a drink. Down the hatch, baby. 
$20 if you drink it down, if you drink it right down. See if you're a real woman. Finish that drink. Finish that drink down the hatch. Hurry right down. You need another drink. I'll give you 50 bucks if you can take it. I'll give you 10, 20, 50 dollars, whatever you want. Come on, I want to see you get it all down. These are all separate quotes. Quote, you get it right down. I'll give you the 50 bucks and the 13 bucks. I told you that. If you finish that, I'll give you $75. Finish your drink, I'll give you $20, etc. So he was bribing them with money to yeah. drink more. And police heard that. So that's the evidence that they needed. I'm I'm just where is okay. I'm really struggling with this like MO. And you did say at the beginning it's a very different MO. Yeah. Um what would make somebody like compel somebody to force somebody to drink that much alcohol in order to kill them? I'm just trying to find like like was he was he force fed alcohol at some point in his life and that was like a traumatic thing and then there that's you know cuz that's yeah. usually what it is it's like a reliving <clears throat> well he was an alcoholic himself maybe he was like it's like I don't want to do it to myself but that makes sense maybe I'll do it to someone else and see how much alcohol someone can have I well, don't know you know and this might be sensitive for some listeners but you know sometimes people that commit homicide are doing so because they don't want to commit suicide. Yeah. But they want to, you know, yeah. somewhere. But they're just, they won't do that no, to themselves. Yeah, and, and so I'm wondering, you know, does he wish that he could drink himself to death? And that's yeah. what he's doing and inflicting this pain on these women? I don't know. It's really awful, though. Now, on November 26, 1987, Gilbert Paul Jordan was apprehended as he was attempting to kill his last victim, Mabel Olson. Ooh. She had lost consciousness. When police entered the room, Gilbert was lying on top of her, forcing the contents of a large bottle of vodka down her throat. Mabel would survive the attack. Oh my gosh. So they're like, gotcha, motherfucker. Like, look what you're doing. <laughs> they took, took like took a us, picture. Yeah, it only like, took us 33 years. But yeah, whatever. for real. <laughs> it was not until 1988 that Gilbert would go on trial for the murder of Vanessa Buckner. That was the one, she was one of the women found in the hotel. Mm. During the trial, Gilbert was thought to have been connected to six other women at the time of their deaths, but they only had evidence of Vanessa's murder being connected to him. So unfortunately, they didn't try him for the other murders at all. It, it kind of brings me back to what we were talking about in Green River. Like, if it's important to you to have that name on that piece of paper. Oh, yeah. And like, that <clears throat> is important to me. Yeah, no, for sure. So for him to only be tried for one. When like, he was connected he was, to se seven. Yeah. Now get this. Gilbert was allowed to speak of his victims. I don't like that they're able to do that, but he was in court. He was quoted as saying, quote, they were all on their last legs. I didn't give a damn who I was with. I mean, we're all dying sooner or later. So why are you going to make it sooner, you jackass? Like, <laughs> Jesus. That's Ugh. so stupid. No, he thought he could get away with it because, first of all, they were native women. Yes. First of all. And they're really uh, lower funded areas lower policed areas um second of all they might have been you know transient women or sex workers or what have you um and maybe had a history of alcohol abuse yeah and that's why the police didn't give a shit and yeah. you know it's it's really unfortunate because he clearly influenced a lot of people's deaths if not purposely took lives yeah and that's ridiculous that he would only be tried for one person Justice Bach found Gilbert Paul Jordan guilty of manslaughter in the death of Vanessa Buckner. <gasps> Vanessa's father was noted saying about Gilbert, quote, He poisons them first, then has sex with them. No parent should have to go through this. He's a worm. He's a lowlife. He should be squashed, just like he squashed a lot of girls' lives. I can't believe that. Oh, don't worry. It gets worse. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison. You'd think that, like, his long fucking rap sheet of, like, very violent crimes and criminal activity would have maybe influenced a 15-year sentence. They don't give a shit. That's, oh, God, this is infuriating. This conviction was changed during an appeal hearing that was successful for Gilbert. And the time changed from 15 years to just, not years, years to just nine years. So not only was he sentenced for 15 years, his appeal got approved later on, and it got changed to nine years. 
Did they just not look back at, like, this dude's record? Well, then, remember that they tried to put, like, a serial offender thing on his, like, record and the lawyer somehow, like, denied it. Fucking weird. This is outstanding. It gets worse. Oh, God. Somehow, he was able to get released on probation after just (gasps) six years and was back out on the streets. Six years. Oh, my God. I'm really mad right now. Oh, my God. One condition of his probation was that he was restricted to Vancouver Island, and another was that he could not drink at all. Okay, so he's restricted to his already stomping grounds, where he's already victimizing women, and he's ordered to not drink. How well do you think that that goes? Well, you're telling a lifelong alcoholic to not drink, like, yeah. all, the, all of a sudden. Just don't do it again. You'll just be fine. Just don't do it. Just it's not don't... like it's accessible everywhere. Just yeah, don't do it. Just don't do it's it. Fine. Yeah. Well, it was not long after he was out that Gilbert was arrested yet again. Yeah, I've, I know plenty of people that have those breathalyzer machines or whatever in their fucking car, and they still go out and fucking party. I saw this TikTok. <laughs> I saw this TikTok, and these two girls got in the car, and the girl that's driving is like, all right, you ready to go? And the passenger's like, yep. And she goes, oh, look over there. And the passenger turns, and then she turns the camera, and she's like, <laughs> and she's trying to, like, make, distract the person so, so she can blow, but it takes, like, 30 whole seconds. Yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> It's, like, loud as fuck, dude. (laughs) In June of the year 2000, Gilbert had been charged with sexual assault, assault, negligence, causing bodily harm, and administering a noxious substance, alcohol. (laughs) He had committed the same crime that he had been imprisoned for prior, but somehow he did not serve any time for this. So, he didn't... There was no... Life lost, thankfully, but he had done everything leading up to it and gotten arrested for it. It was around this time as well that Gilbert Jordan tried to change his name yet again to Paul Pierce. Mm. So just using his middle name now. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just Paul Pierce. Yeah. Next, it's going to be Pierce Paul. <laughs> Pierce Jordan. <laughs> Pierce Gilbert. Yeah. Paul McCartney. <laughs> At the time, fingerprinting and criminal record checks were not required in British Columbia to have your name changed, but the law actually changed while Gilbert was in the process of changing his name this time. And he was like, oh, and he dropped the application so that he could avoid suspicion. Oh. So he decided he wasn't going to try. Okay. Did he still go by Paul Pierce? No. Pierce Paul? Peter, Paul, and Mary? (laughs) In 2002, Gilbert was arrested once again for a breach of probation for drinking and being in the presence of a woman while in possession of alcohol. So that was, I guess, included in his probation. He wasn't allowed to be around people that were drinking, like women, when there was alcohol involved. I see. Okay. Which is hilarious. It's like, like just be a hermit. (laughs) Just just like a restraining order against all women. Yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah. He was found guilty of these charges and sentenced to 15 months in jail and three years probation for these crimes. Once released and back out on the streets for some fucking reason, (laughs) I wrote it in all caps, so I had to say it like, on August 11th, 2004, Gilbert was arrested in Winnipeg for violating probation. He had been identified as being at a party and binge drinking with a woman by the name of Barb Berkeley at the York Hotel in Swift Current. Okay. Barb was known as being a long-term resident of the hotel and had a serious drinking problem. After spending the night with Gilbert, Barb was found by a friend and colleague, Kathy Waddington, who immediately took her to the hospital for care. Kathy was actually able to identify Gilbert Paul Jordan as being the one that was with Barb when this all took place. Hmm. Somehow... Even though Gilbert was fucking identified as the perpetrator, he was acquitted on these charges and released into the Who public. Who is this lawyer? <laughs> is this the same guy that defended OJ? Is, he's dead. Oh, well, he wouldn't be dead at that point. That's Rob Kardashian. You know that, right? <clears throat> he was on. He was. Well, he was on the team, but he oh. wasn't the. It was a uh, Johnny Cochran, I think. Oh. After being free once again. Gilbert tried to change his name once more, but it was unsuccessful. I don't know why he keeps changing his name. He's like, like it doesn't matter. This he was identified as the perpetrator. You can't change your face. I mean, yeah. I guess you could. <laughs> <laughs> On February 3rd, 2005, police fucking finally issued a public warning urging the community to be cautious of Gilbert. Instead of just putting him in jail, they're like, hey, by the way, everyone just look out for this fucking just, creep. It's everybody else's problem. It's not him. <laughs> it's everybody mean? else's problem. Watch out for this guy. He's no good. The warning is as follows. A known crack ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quote, 
Jordan Gilbert Paul, age 73, is the subject of this alert. I was going to say, because he was born 31 and this is 2005. Yeah. Oh my god. Quote, Jordan is 175 centimeters or 5 foot 9 inches tall and weighs 75 kilograms or 174 pounds, which is fucking skinny for 5'9". Yeah, for 5'9". That's five less nine. than I weigh. That's what I was like. Like, that, that must be another thing, you know, given his build. Maybe that's why he liked to lower True. their inhibitions so that he could take advantage of them. Yeah. Because he could probably be pushed over, especially if he was wasted. Yeah, and old. Uh, quote, he is partially bald with gray hair and a gray goatee. He has blue eyes and wears glasses. Jordan is currently in the Victoria area, but has no fixed address. Jordan has a significant criminal record, including manslaughter and indecent assault of a female. He uses alcohol to lure his victims. Jordan's target group is adult females. Jordan is subject to court-ordered conditions, including abstain absolutely from the consumption of alcohol, nor to be in the company of any female person or persons in any place where alcohol is being either consumed or possessed by that person or persons. If you observe the subject in violation of any of the above conditions, please call the Sandwich Police Department at 475-4321-911 or your local police agency. If you have any questions concerning the pub- public notification process, please contact the British Columbia Corrections Branch at 250-387-6366. That's the whole thing. How about put him in a mandatory rehab? Yeah. Where he can, like, actually be monitored by people. Yeah. Instead of just letting him walk around. Yeah. <laughs> what did it say that he had a record of what? I know it said SA, but what was the other one? Oh, manslaughter. Manslaughter. Yeah. Mm, Assault. Just manslaughter. Yeah. Just manslaughter. After spending another year in and out of jail for parole violations, mm-hmm. the boozing barber died on July 7th, 2006 in Victoria, British Columbia at the age of 74 from seemingly natural causes, a.k.a. <laughs> cirrhosis of the fucking liver. Probably. Gilbert Paul Jordan was the first person convicted in Canada to use alcohol as a murder weapon. Gilbert became the subject of the 1997 Canadian TV program Exhibit A, Secrets of Forensic Science, in an episode called Dead Drunk, which is kind of fucked up. Dead Drunk. Yeah. The program describes the forensic work used to convict him in 88, and he was also the subject of a number of different works, such as movies and plays. I didn't put them in here. But, but, he, was, but he wasn't convicted of murder. Yeah. He was convicted of manslaughter. Mm-hmm. So now they're trying to say, now that he's dead, now he's a murderer? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even though he's never been convicted. Yeah. So I also just wanted to pepper in here at the very end. That was um, clearly an episode of a lot about alcohol abuse and, and, of course, all types of abuse. Now, if you are somebody that you know is struggling with alcohol or drug addiction, you can call the National Drug and Alcohol Treatment Hotline at 1-800-662-4357. That is a 24-hour hotline. Strong Hearts Native Helpline is also a helpline that is a 24-hour, seven-day-in-a-week, safe, confidential, and anonymous domestic and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans and Alaskan Natives, offering culturally appropriate support and advocacy. Um, If you or someone you know needs to reach out, the phone number is 1-844-762-8483 or 1-844-7-NATIVE. Okay, nice. That was, uh, yeah, that's definitely, like, a, a really odd one because, you know, it's very, I think that he is responsible for the murder of at least seven people, if not more. Obviously, uh, the Crown thought differently and they just charged him with manslaughter of one person and it's hard because it's, like, you're, like, what you said earlier, it's, like, what is the line between consensual consumption of a drug or alcohol and non-consensual, especially if these are adults, you know, and they're able to, you know, purchase things like that on their own and they agree to go spend some time with him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really unfortunate because it's like it makes it almost like even worse in my opinion because like these women clearly trusted him enough to like spend time with him and get intoxicated with him. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he was paying for their company or their time, yeah. still, you know, it's really it's just really shitty that people are targeted like that in yeah. those uh, scenarios. Well, you know, I think about you know, parties you've been to or whatever is like, I bet you 10 bucks you can't chug that beer, you know, and how it could seem like you're having a good time or whatever. Or you're in control of it. Yeah, or you're in control and then not even know that the person you're spending time with is a predator. Yeah, And that's really scary. The only, like, sliver of any good that I can think of is, like, hopefully these women didn't experience much discomfort or pain because they were so intoxicated that they were, you know, not 
coherent, and that's unfortunate that he took advantage of that, but that's the only thing. I mean, it's terrible either way. Yeah. Um, that's just something that comes to mind. Um, but antisocial personality disorder, I think, is a little... I wasn't expecting that from him. Yeah. Considering, like, the... like. Obviously, antisocial personality disorder is not as cut and dry as it sounds. Like, it's not like they don't talk to anybody. But it's strange that he was able to form these connections with people. Yeah. But again, who knows if he was, if it was only ones that he was paying for their time or company. Right. So. Well, it's also a comor- comorbidity for the alcohol abuse. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that's probably top tier right there. And then with that came a personality disorder. Um, being able to uh, dissociate from a person and yeah. a human and somebody that has a life. You it's know? very true. And also, like, when he... Because they were doing, like... I don't want to say they were doing all the right things, like law enforcement, but they did do a due diligence by saying, okay, this is a mandatory psychological evaluation. That's so great. Like, continue to do that. But then, like, once you diagnose somebody with something like this, especially like this fucking treat it like yeah. help him get help don't yeah. just be like oh now you have this here's diagnosis your, here's your piece of paper that there says you, you have a disease or a figure it out yeah, yeah exactly and they just let him back out on the streets like again we always say this like not everybody with a mental disorder is going to be a bad person or criminal or whatever but if like if this is known especially by professionals like there should be steps in place to help right. this person get help clearly he needs help with the alcoholism and the drug abuse and stuff like that He's not going to, this in this specific situa- situation, he's not going to take it upon himself to yeah. treat his mental illness if he's, you know, also struggling with these other things. It is really unfortunate that, you know, some people that suffer from these personality disorders can't treat the personality disorder if they're not sober. Oh, yeah, of course and, not. And, you know, it's not like you go seek help for a personality disorder and you're just not seeing those results and, like, all this stuff. It's... You know, and I've I've experienced it with one or two people that I know that they have this personality disorder or seemingly have a personality disorder and they might seek things like therapy or they might seek uh, to better themselves either through meditation or whatever, but they're still continuing to abuse alcohol and drugs. And so it seems like a fruitless endeavor because you're not sobering up your mind and getting your mind on an even balance um, in order just to treat that underlining or comorbidity personality disorder i also um i know we've said this in other episodes but if this is this is the first episode that you're listening um we're not by any means saying that personality disorders as a blanket statement are bad i actually have a personality disorder it's not this one but i have been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive personality disorder and i will say personally drinking makes it worse you know and so it's definitely not something that's going to help. Like, the alcohol abuse is not going to help any type of mental disorder. Right. Especially uh, personality disorders. But I definitely don't want it to seem like this is like, oh, okay, everyone that has this is going to be, you know, yeah, in no. a bad shape. And so... If anything, it hinders progress. Yeah. And, you know, potential progress that you could be making um, and suppressing that progress, too. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. If you are interested in learning more about personality disorders, we do have an episode in our Mental Breakdown segment um, on narcissistic personality disorder. And I know that in the beginning when we started the Mental Breakdowns, we do pepper in and talk about personality disorders kind of here and there in other episodes. So feel free to listen to those if you want to learn more about those specifically. And of course, if you want to hear one just on antisocial personality disorder, we're happy to tackle that as well. For sure. Just go ahead and let us know. Um, Kristen Gilbert is also a really great example of a personality disorder. Yeah, definitely. And well, Scott Peterson, but that's narcissistic. Yeah, definitely. So I do just want to shout out... We got a really sweet Instagram message. Um, I'm not going to put this person's name in here because I'm not sure if they are okay with that, but I did just want to read it because it was very nice. It says, hey besties, I'm absolutely obsessed with your podcast and amount of time and effort you put into every case. I haven't found a true crime podcast that really talks about the mental illnesses and the detail that you guys do, and it's incredibly fascinating. I just wanted to say that I love you guys and all the the hard work you put into this every week. Also, they gave a case suggestion, which is what I was mentioning in the beginning, so I'm definitely going to tackle that. And they go, if you don't take case suggestions via Instagram DMs, that's fine. I'll email you, but, like, just let me know. (laughs) So that that was funny. And then uh, they also peppered in, your time and effort definitely shows in all of your podcasts. I could not be more excited to see what you guys put out there. That's awesome. I know. Thank you so much. And I always respond to the Instagram posts, so you know what I said back. But I just love the positive energy, you know, that comes from people. And it's, 
it's like people that we would have never connected with otherwise, right? right? And I don't know where this person lives, but I'm sure they don't live right here at our hub. So <laughs> it's kind of cool that we're like affecting people in a positive way. Yeah. Um, honestly, even worldwide. Like I look at our map all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. And we got some UK listeners too. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think we have listeners, I mean, pretty much pretty in every much country. Yeah, yeah. We're just, like, famous. We're famous now, y'all. Sorry. <laughs> Remember we used to so. say that all the time? We're going to get famous. So famous. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you can follow us on Instagram if you don't already have us, at Diagnosing a Killer. That is our handle on everything, with the exception of Twitter, which is at Killer Diagnosis. If you'd like to donate to the Patreon, um, I had actually someone ask me what the Patreon was. They were saying... You know, you keep mentioning it in every episode. I'm not sure what that entails, so I'll just go ahead and explain. Um, Patreon is a monthly subscription. You can donate anywhere from $1 up, and it just allows us to be able to put more content out. It allows us to have more free time in order to do these episodes and and get things out more uh, frequently, as well as stickers. I know we've talked about getting pins and patches. Anybody that is a patron at the moment has already received a sticker with the exception of Steph, and I'm going to bring it to you when we have lunch. But um, (laughs) that is one of the perks of of giving us that um, subscription for the donation. It does help us get better equipment and all that stuff as well. So that is patreon.com slash diagnosing a killer. I think we might even just put a link to the Patreon in the episodes because I've seen that. Yeah, and then it says like, you know, uh, click here to donate or whatever, and you can just, it's like in the show notes. I think that would be easier for people. Yeah, yeah, definitely, instead of having to like search it. But yeah, that is all I have for today. Great case. Yeah, thank you. It was yeah. definitely different than it was what I was Definitely doing. different. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting, and that guy is wild and out. Like, it's just, mm. it was just such a, again, so different. Like, it kind of came out of nowhere. It's like, what really made this guy? It probably was just, he was just pre-designed to have are predisposed to having this mental illness and yeah. the, the alcohol abuse probably led to the reveal of yeah. antisocial personality disorder. And he started, he started becoming violent when he was in his early twenties. Twenties. Yeah, yeah. That would be about, about this, the right time. Huh? Yeah. But anyway, that is all I have. Do you have anything else? No, just, uh, stick with us. Um, uh, up next will be a mental breakdown. I'm so excited. No. And we will see y'all soon. All right. I right. love, love you. you. Bye. Bye. You don't need real ink to make an impact. Let the power of temporary tattoos tell your story. Temporary Tattoos specializes in a wide range of temporary body art, including custom tattoos, with the option to add unique effects like metallic, glitter, glow-in-the-dark, and so much more. Temporary tattoos are easy to apply and last up to five days. When you're ready for your new look, simply remove your fake tattoo using their lemon-scented removing wipes, rinse, and repeat. Temporary tattoo. Experiment with a new look without the commitment. Use the link in the show notes below for 10% off stock tattoos and bring your new look to life.